everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 240 and number three in the puppy series. And in the first two podcasts about puppies, it was mostly about creating a perspective about this little critter that you're going to get or have and, and a way to look at them and interact with them um, in a whole being sense instead of what a cute little thing this is and oh the kids love it or I love it or you know if you're a young male or a male at all and you're out with your puppy draw every female on the planet to you I mean instead of these things that make your life better let's talk about you know let you look at it for what it is what does it need what what will make this dog fit into your the system of your life and your needs and your purposes that are fair, obviously. That's just implied, you know, that you got the right dog for the right thing. And then how do you make that work for you? And in all of my training things uh, that I have done over all the, always, always, I don't, I don't tell people what to do always specifically, but I do tell them how to look at this and come up with the best thing to do. All of my training, it's my nature to engineer everything. And so all of the processes that I've gone through and, and worked on and all the, the stuff I do with dogs, it arrives at being what it appears to be the very best thing to do to get from, from point A to point B in this whole thing. You know, it's the, it's the most, one, enjoyable. Like you got to like doing this stuff. It also has to be, make a lot of sense to the animal. It has to cater to their, their true nature. It has to cater to yours too. Whatever kind of person you are, you can only do what's authentically comes from you. So when you talk about dog training, it's not just a here, do these 10 things. Because these other factors, you know, whether you are comfortable with that, thinking about that or not, are very, very important. So that's a lot of what I was doing in the first two is getting people to look at these little guys. Now, in this one, let's start to talk about stuff to do. So whether we're talking about retrievers, which is, I think, the majority of the listeners I have, it, it could be an Australian shepherd. It could be a dachshund. It could be dogs that have strong purposes that may be a little bit different. So when I talk about retrieving, whatever it is for your breed, then we're talking about their thing, you know, whether it's herding or, or pursuing or finding or whatever it is, you know, then switch the retrieving stuff I talk about for activities or more along those lines. But the, the components, and we're going to be talking about retrievers now so I can use examples, the comp, there's a number of components that need to be a part of this dog's life. First, and the one I've mentioned all before, is whatever is the dog's, the puppy's happiest time is the thing that grows stronger in their thinking and in their brains and in their hearts and shoves, begins to move out some of the other things. So you need to make that be the time with you, the things you do, the walk, which every breed of dog in the world should do, the retrieving, the, go, you know, whatever you're doing going out and finding flocks of pigeons to move around um they have to they you have to have their purpose and it needs to be with you and in strongly in my opinion it needs to be with you and the dog 
there needs to be the primary teacher. That doesn't mean your partner can't help out and be a part of that. But if you're going to be the primary trainer, then you need to be the one that gets the little dog's heartbeat going when they see you. Just a really, that makes it easiest of all. So their life, that has to be. That means that if you have other animals, other dogs, that there needs to be the ability to separate them. Because if you do not, then they will pack up and they will be the most important thing to each other. Uh, if that's how they always are. So if you, you know, and I've always had multiple dogs, always. And I've always had dog runs, even for my dachshund. You know, it's like, okay, now you're going to kind of go outside out here by yourself. You might be next to somebody. You might not be next to somebody. But they spend time singularly, no matter what. Otherwise, if you have that pack thing, you're going to wind up with the air quote stubborn dog. And then the other things, it's away from the other dog, and it's upset. And if they're not together, all that stuff happens. So you can have multiple dogs and not have that. But you have to have places to put them. Can they be together? Sure. Can they play? Absolutely. But that doesn't need to be the, the biggest thing in their lives. So that's an important thing. Then you need to have a time in your day that's somewhat consistent. Now, you don't, you know, I know people like real, some people really respond to a rigorous schedule, schedule and other people can't stand it. But you have to have some structure when you are teaching things. Okay? I, you need some of that. So ideally, again, I'm going to talk ideally, if you can get up every day, first light, take your little puppy, head out to the green belt, you know, down the road or somewhere somewhere that is a natural environment and go head out set them down take leash off go really challenge them physically when they're eight weeks old that doesn't take a lot when they're three four months old it does take a lot so you've got to be able to take the time to go out and the two of you do that alone this is where the dog, again, this is the highlight of the day, right? This is the part the dog loves so much. And you don't make it boring and you don't talk all the time. You make it a dog thing, which means there isn't chatter because it's not what they do. It's just you two experiencing each other in the place you're going. And then for the retriever, guys, so you get to a nice open spot somewhere Call the dog over, you pull out your bumper, whatever appropriately sized. Remember, not a toy, not a stick, not a stick, but their retrieve thing because that's their job. And you do two or three retrieves. You know, if you got some, if you're trying to advance them a little bit, so then you can use some cover, some terrain, or throw it on the other side of the log, something to make it challenging. You don't want to, you don't want that routine. It's thrilling. And when they bring it back the second or third time, and you put it up, and they're going, no, 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 come on, come on. And they're walking backwards, staring at you. All good. That doesn't mean throw more. It just means you're really, really developing that passion and the love of that, which is going to turn out to be your leverage to do some more demanding training. Because they'll say, I'll do anything if we can go do this thing that I love. So if this can be a part of your day, then you come back, give them some breakfast, right? put them up somewhere, wherever you have to put them up. And let them, you know, just sort of percolate a little bit on that. Let it steep in. 
If you just bring them home and then immediately throw them out with a bunch of other dogs in the yard, you are going to wind up sort of diluting, washing over that wonderful experience the two of you had with this big, wild, exciting, chaotic thing, you know, and brains love chaos, right? Little puppy brain. So you go with this single focused, enjoyable, connected activity that the two of you have. You tire, get them where they're tired, and then they can have a little breakfast and rest and relax, and that just kind of just steeps into everything. Then later, I, whatever your life, however this is, you know, they can get out, other dogs, the family, whatever, they can get out and do some stuff. But then if, you know, you got to go to work or some the house is going to be empty for a while, then have them confined. Again, kennel run. I, I don't like the crate indoors. You get bladder infections and, you know, it's just they can't move around. Minimally so if you have to do that. You know, it would be much nicer if you had some place where they could be at least somewhat outdoors. You know, where they can drink if they need to, urinate if they need to, move around. Because that's real natural. But it's just them. They're maybe next to a other dog. Or your other dog's out in the yard, but this one is confined. They're fine with that. If you start them out with that, then they never think it's a bad thing later on. It's like, okay, go into the kennel. It always works that way. And so, then however your schedule and your world works, the dog fits into that. Can you come home at lunch and let them out? You know, maybe do a little bit of leash work if they're old enough for five minutes, not 15. You know, the young dogs do not have much of an attention span. And just like if we're going to, if I'm going to teach you something, if I go on and on and on for an hour, no matter how valuable what I might be saying is, I, you know, you're off somewhere else because this is, it won't stop. And we lose your attention span. So be aware of that with these little guys. If you're going to do a little leash work or go out and do a, several retrieves at lunchtime or something, just do a little bit and stop. Um, I wouldn't do uh, walks all the time. You know, in the morning we do one, in the middle of the day we do one. Unless it's just something that's necessary. You really want that walk that they do with you to just be so meaningful. Not diluted by lots and lots and lots of them. Because then <clears throat> they might actually get fatigued or even maybe a little bored if you overdo anything. So more is never better. Like I said, if you're going to error, error by not doing enough more than just grinding it in and making it more of a chore. So a walk once a day is great. Some work at some point where they have to think. Now on a walk, they're going to have to think because they got to think when they run into something that pokes them not to run into it again. They have, there's a lot of learning and thinking and focusing and paying attention to where you are that they do on that. At some other part of their day, you need to have something, and it will change as they mature, which I always call doing a few math problems. When you go on your walk, that's like a pickup basketball game. It's like going out to play soccer. It's, you know, it's fun and it's movement and it's focused thinking because you don't play soccer without focusing on where everything is and what you're doing. But it's also so natural and it's movement and they really like that. The other aspect you need to have to these little guys now is where they got to sit down and do a little bit of a math problem. 
In the beginning, the math problems aren't very much. As they go on, as you're, as the dog matures, pretty soon, you know, other than introducing the numbers and then you start adding and subtracting and multiplying and you just keep going and making those things mentally challenging. You can see the difference in an animal at the age of six or seven months that has learned how to do a math problem, and I'll talk about what that is at this age, versus one that never had to sit down and pay attention to anything. Now you got kind of a big battle uh, to get them into, okay, I'll sit down and I will mentally engage in this thing and stay with it. So when you start that fairly early and age appropriate, okay, it's a good thing. For example, let me give you an example. Uh, you know, it's always good if you do not allow the dog to learn stuff that you don't want. If you don't want a 70-pound lab uh, on your bed, then don't let a 20-pound, 10-pound lab on your bed. If you don't want a 70-pound lab with muddy feet jumping up on your linen suit, don't teach a little eight-week-old puppy that up feet on your suit is exactly the best place to be. So a lot of things like that. On the retreats, don't let them learn to do anything but go out and come back. You can with a little cord or just being very enticing and stuff. You can teach them that early. And you don't do so much of it that there becomes negative pieces of it. You always leave it with never enough. That way you can always keep it going pretty well. Although at some point they're going to get teenagery on you. And just start thinking of other things. And it seems like they're being bad dogs, but they're just maturing and their brain doesn't always support the kind of thinking that you want, just like with teenage humans. Um, that will be common. But right now at this age, when you don't have that, teach them what it is you want. Teach them that barking, you know, unless you don't care or you like it, is not going to work. Not going to work. And just like the dogs that bite, or dogs that yeah, put their teeth on you and don't care what they do to you. Or dogs that make noise and don't care what you think about that. There needs to be a consequence for that that they don't want to continue to have. <laughs> it's got to be something. And people have interesting ideas. Passive ideas do not work with our ardent retrievers. Just rarely, rarely. But have a consequence like their mother or their pack would when they do something that they really can't do this is not going to be acceptable, that they don't want again. If a little dog wants to bite somebody, stop it at the very beginning. Much easier to do than allowing it until it gets really problematic and then going, how can I stop this? Okay, well, you just taught the dog something by allowing it and letting it happen, and now all of a sudden you change all the rules. A lot of times when you interact with little dogs that way, they become inherently distrustful. Now, I don't think they are thinking like you and I, oh, I never can believe anything you say. They don't think, they don't have that kind of a thought, right? But they don't know if whatever you're saying or doing right now is going to go beyond right now. It might, might not. In other words, that strong connection where they just really have faith in you and really have total confidence in doing anything with you, you destroy that by changing rules as you go along. I have found that by not changing rules, 
man, you know, they just know that I'm good and, I, and they can count on me and things aren't going to get different. And it, it makes everything down the line important if you haven't thought of that. So that's a real, make sure you do that. But what's, what are the algebra problem, math problems that we do with little guys? It can be something like, and you can even make a, a bit of a game with it. But it's something like, if you have a real strong retriever, all right, then make them sit and wait and throw it and then send them on their name. And once you start that, if you're not taking away from their desire to retrieve, then once you got them where they know they have to sit, then do that. Okay, have it, do it consistently. Don't change the rules. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, don't do that. When you don't detract from their des fervent desire to go, then you can start making them be steady. In terms of obedience, I don't think there's a rule on this other than always be aware of these little soft-boned puppies. You can't do rigorous physical things, jerking them around on a leash and stuff like that, um, unless there's a safety issue. They're just too young. But when you have a dog that's kind of, uh, let's say it's, and I'll say this, remember this, when you watch a dog and its body and what it's doing, that is exactly what the inside of its head looks like. So if you got a little sucker that's just running around mindless, crazy, all kind of crazy, that's what's happening in their head. That framework, that mindset is not useful for anything. In the wild, that, that animal would be taken out by a predator because it wouldn't be... Uh, totally aware of its surroundings and what's happening the way it would need to be. So the wild, crazy, chaotic thought is not good for anything ever. So when you see that, if you see that in the wild, chaotic, running around crazy, and I don't mean a case of the zoomies. Those things are cute, right? When they're running around with their butt tucked up and, you know, that, that's a puppy thing and that's fun. But when they're really just mindlessly doing all kinds of stuff, biting and jumping and barking and do, that tells you that you need to start to get into their head a little bit and start drawing down on some mental ability, asking something of it. So it could be sitting on a retrieve. It could be getting them on a leash. And again, I'm not going to do the, I, I, I don't agree with the little harness even on a puppy because that teaches them to use their back legs to power somewhere because the back legs are going to drive that front end that you have supported if they're going to just pull around a lot. So that's teaching them mechanics that you don't want them to use later on. So I will just do it with a uh, flat collar, uh, wide flat collar, no real skinny stuff. And I'll just put them on the end of a, of a leash and make them stay on my left side. I, I train dogs on the left side because I'm right-handed, and just make them walk with me, and they can flip around and do kind of, they don't have to be doing all perfect obedience, but they're walking over at my side with me, and we're, you know, and they, sometimes they're, or they scream, or they resist, and they, you know, put the brakes on, well, just pull them along, a little bit of jerks or something, um, and not, not an eight-week-old, right, but when you're getting 12 weeks old, and they're getting up there, you can do this if it's necessary. It's one way that you can begin to make them. And in the beginning, you have to take baby steps with this because these are babies, right? We're not going to start heel and sit and stuff on a leash, perfect, lined up, you know, rib to rib kind of a thing. We're going we're gonna to just teach the dog, you're going to go with me on this attachment. 
And this one, you just go right down the driveway or down the street or whatever. Unless your dog gets acts all crazy, don't do that. The neighbors will be worried about you. But just teach the dog, you know. And you can't do that for more than a few minutes because otherwise, it's just like dog torture. But you know, for a couple of days, just have them over there on that left side. Pretty soon, when you notice they're starting to get the gist. And they are coming along with you, maybe a little resentfully, but they're coming along with you. Progress. Until you can get the little dog to walk with you. Now we can just start tightening it up a little over the weeks, you know, so that they actually are walking with you. And then, you know, they sit down when you stop and you slowly get them to think about what they are doing, what you are doing, what you're saying and what you're asking. Do it when you need to. Get into their heads to start to build this thinking and focus thing when you see that that's not what's going on in their head. Some will learn it quickly. Some it'll take time. It just will be what it will be. Instead of the should thing, you know, all shoulds should be taken out of, I think, all relationships, human to human or human to dog. Throw the shoulds out. There is no such thing as this dog should. It's, they don't live in a world of shoulds either. It's, uh, it's what it is. And if you want to be effective in, with your dog work, then you need to deal with what is, not what you think should be there, not what somebody said your dog should be doing. Because they might be right or they might be wrong. But anyway, it's between you and this dog. So when you see their, their minds being crazy, as you can see their chaotic kind of stuff, Okay, let's go in real real gently and easily and simply and begin to refine what they're thinking. That's actually what you're doing when you're doing that basic obedience. You're actually getting into their head, which is dog training and what it is all about. So make sure that at some part in the day you do sit down and do a few math problems with the dog where you begin to rein in their ability to focus and think. Because ultimately, we want them to problem solve. When you're out hunting ruffled grouse, right? Yeah, there's a lot of thinking that needs to go on there. You need a dog that takes the responsibility to problem solve about how do I locate these birds and how do I be able to see where they're, all this stuff. Okay, that, that's, a, that's a problem solving skill. We're starting the ability to do that right now with these little guys. They don't know it. They just you're paying attention to them and they like that and then you're you know when you're when they do well and you tell them good dog for effort for effort not just because they're breathing right otherwise your praise becomes a uh, noise also or a way to manipulate you so when they try hard when that little dog starts walking just like all right i'll just walk with you that is a good dog because they are making effort to work with you and learn what you're asking that's the thing that praise is for. Then part of the day also is just puppy joy. That, like for I think all of us, is very important. So yes, if it's evening, everyone's home, there's other dogs, there's kids, there's company, whatever it is. Uh, not the dog park, okay? <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. But you got your backyard and everybody's home and you're having a barbecue and the dogs are out in the dogs and puppies playing with the dogs and growling and doing stuff and the kids are running out screaming that's great 
you know, every uh, we all need that stuff too. Just unbridled joy where there's not rules. They're not doing something wrong. Um, and they just get to go uh, be a puppy, right? Yes, absolutely have that. Do not let it continue for hours and hours because, again, don't let that suddenly start replacing the greatest joy that you should have with the two of you doing your morning walk together. No, it's man when everybody comes over. Whoo, that's the best. You know they can have they can have that and enjoy it. And then you know whoo, they're a puppy. They can go in their crate now and just kind of rest. Everybody's gonna have dinner without dogs drooling around them, stuff like that. And so you get at the same time that everyone's enjoying the puppies frolicking and having a lot of fun and they're out there. And then because everyone's going to sit down for dinner, you put them in the crate so they can just, they are learning. There are times in this family system where I need to just stay out of the way and be a good dog. You know, everybody, you need that. Nothing worse than a dog drooling on your leg because they know eventually you're going to throw food at them. You know, nobody wants that. Don't teach them that when it's dinner time, teach them something that you'd really like them to do when they're a big dog. Go over and lay down. And they can learn that. You teach it right now. But again, you're getting into their head. So they got to have all this fun and ram around with the other dogs and run and be crazy and throw their own sticks. Don't throw sticks, right? Throw their own sticks. And and then they got to go be quiet while you guys are all quiet eating. What an excellent teaching thing. What a wonderful habit to establish for later on. There, you will never regret having a dog that gets out of the way at dinner and thinks it's supposed to do that and doesn't think it's punishment. So if you think ahead on a lot of this stuff, what, what's this little guy going to be like when they're 60 pounds or 70 pounds or 80 pounds or whatever it is? What, wouldn't it be nice if they were polite like we are? Well, then do that. You know, you can put them on a crate in the house if there's a house dog. If you have a dog right outside, okay, go in here. Here's a bone. Give, you know, I think the, the hard knuckle bones that aren't covered with fat, because that's no, no puppy should eat that, that much fat. But when it's time, you know, and they're, they're going to be teething here shortly, if not already, put them in their place. Again, I like a nice little, their own run of some sort. Put them out there with a, a bone that they can't eat or swallow or crack or anything. Let them work on that. Man, that's like, yay, I get to go in the kennel now. See, guys, because that bone means so much. 50 toys is not cool. Something they really love is. And generally, it's more the real things. Because, you know, they will, I don't know how many phone calls I've gotten from people that their dog ate a, just something crazy. Ate a blanket, you know, ate five pair of underwear, got somebody's, uh, long piece of string you know they eat all kinds of stuff so i like to put them away with something that they'll want to chew on can't eat and aren't going to swallow and dogs that like to eat fabrics which a lot do you know i my outside runs always had grass hay if they needed something because they eat that that's grass <laughs> but there's and it's natural and it's not harmful and if they do it it's can't really hurt them so I never, ever, ever put them in there with a bed because that may be the day they chew on something and swallow it and then it blocks up their, that could be really bad. So again, problem prevention, give them, give them the, the raw bones that you can get from a butcher or something. Um, 
a lot of the ones prepared that are all you know they can shatter those and stuff and i some dogs can handle that some can i like the real ones and then they'll chew on them and for several days or like weeks or so and then take it out and get them a new one or something that's a real nice way when you put them up here look at this teach them that teach those habits so that's kind of stage three you've got the elements that the dog is there for the retrieving the walk um you've got them doing some math problems a little bit of leash stuff you know, you've taught them that there are manners in the house, what they can be on, what they cannot, where their feet can be, where they cannot. And when they cross the line, just like their mom, you give them a consequence where they go, okay, I'm good. Then we don't need to do that again. And with some dogs, it may take several times. And if the consequence didn't work the first time, double it on the second one. Find the level of consequence where the dog goes, I am not going to do that again. I don't want you doing that. And they'll stop don't hurt them um, but you don't have to hurt them to give them a consequence that they do not want again um, so those at this point are the things that you do now what we're going to slowly do as the pup matures is your walk gets hopefully longer and over in different places not the same place because then it's not an adventure anymore um, you've got to find a way to do that in different ways encounter different things all right so you you're building your connection that you're together always no matter what then you have the whatever they love you know if it's the the hurting thing the pursuing thing the the retrieving thing do some of that always leave them wanting more make sure they do it just the way you're ultimately going to want them to do it do not do anything that takes away from their desire to retrieve if that happens don't stop doing whatever that is because the desire to retrieve is why they're here. And it's, again, the leverage for all the greater things you're going to be asking. Do your math problems. Do the good habit formation. Like when you get up in the morning, you go straight outside in air. Um, you don't bark uh, just to bark, just to make noise. You don't bite any of us. You don't bite the old dog and tear its ears to pieces. I mean, I, don't let them do that. I, I would, I'd have something, some piece of plastic in the house when they started whooping on somebody. I'd whoop on them a little bit. Not whipping. You know, but I mean, I'd go, no, this is not, you're not going to hurt anything. And you can teach them that. These dogs are very, very smart. And then have quiet time. Quiet time where they are by themselves, just stewing in some wonderful new thing they've done or learned from you. And then have them learn things as a as an adult dog you want them to do. Do not bug us at dinner. Do not bug us at breakfast. Do not come in and put drool on me when I'm getting ready to go to work. You know, teach them the habits that you want and go with that. We will increase the demand on the retrieves, the demand on the math problems, the demand on the behavior. We'll increase it, but we won't ever suddenly change the rules. And then have them kind of lose dog faith in us. And again, when you do interact with your dog, only say what needs to be said. Don't make noise because it feels good. And when, when they give you good effort, acknowledge that. I don't know. For me, it's, it's not my nature to be just effusive and just go all over the place. But when I tell a dog, good dog, they know I mean it. So find something where you acknowledge the effort that they've made for you and let them know. 
And that's, that's real important. So from this point forward, this is going to be the, the rhythm of their lives and the things that you will continue to develop. And the dog is in this mode of we go do this wonderful outside thing with together, and then I go be quiet, and then sometimes I have to do these kind of hard things where I have to listen to every word that they say, and I have to try to respond to it. And then there's other times when you're just hanging out. And then there's just some, whoo, party time, fun, just be crazy, wild, do whatever you want, you know, and then quiet time. When you build that rhythm and structure into their lives, that becomes how they are for their whole life. And they're always amenable to demands that you make, new things you want to teach. They trust you, they believe in you, and they like it, and they understand it. Because even though you don't have to have a rigid, a rigid schedule would be terrible because then if you're late on something, they'll be upset. But if you have a, a schedule for the most part where there's this rhythm in their life, that is an optimal learning mode for this dog. And frankly, an optimal teaching mode for you to be in. So that's a real, if you can kind of get a little bit of a rhythm, again, it doesn't have to be hard and fast. You don't want it hard and fast, but you want a rhythm so they get in that, and then the learning just becomes part of what they do every day. And it works really well. So that's the one for today, half hour of that. Um, stuff to start, way to look at it, make it fit into your life, because your life is your life, and you've got to stay with that. So find a way to make these things work together so that you can you know, create the kind of dog that would be a dream to have. You know, and then, then you can explain to someone else how to do all that. But anyway, that's, that's, that's for this week. It, this is one of the most, it is the most fun thing in the world to do with these dogs. So I encourage everybody to, to uh, when you have a chance, make the most of it. And that's all for now. Everybody stay safe, healthy, and happy. And I will be back soon. <laughs>